Welcome to another episode of Group Therapy. This is your proprietor, Tony Ortega, back with our stalwarts. We got Lynette Observer Wagoner out there in Ohio. How's it going, Lynette? It's going pretty good. Still trying to come to terms with uh, seeing something happen that I never thought I would see happen in my life. (laughs) And up in Canada, back home finally, it's Phil Jones. It's good to be back. And in New England, the enigmatic Pam. Feeling good about this. And like Lynette, a little shocked. (laughs) Okay, well, I know what you're talking about. So last week, we took a week off. Uh, My recovery's been going and I needed a little extra time, but I'm going real well now, feeling good. But I still was not recovered enough to travel across the country and be there for the sentencing on Thursday. I had to experience that here in New York. Fortunately for the underground bunker, we had a number of correspondents there in the courtroom sending me notes. So we were pretty much right on top of it with the rest of the country. And wow, uh, quite a scene that was uh, explained to us. And I don't know, about halfway through, once I saw what Sean Hawley said, I realized that everybody there seemed to understand that Judge Charlene Olmedo really only had one choice to make regarding Danny Masterson's sentence. And that was whether he was going to get 15 years to life or 30 years to life. And none of the defense people thought he was going to get some sort of a break or anything. Just, you know, they wanted her to treat the two counts concurrently and give him 15 to life. But I think anybody who knew the case and understood how Judge Almeida had treated it, were not surprised that she went ahead and gave him the maximum 30 years to life in prison, meaning he will not even be eligible for parole until he's 77 years old. Uh, but still, quite a shock, right, everybody? Oh, Very yeah. I, oh, go ahead, Lynette. Oh, no, I was just, I, that was all I had to say. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, not shocked by the amount well i mean it was a bit of a uh uh striking just to hear it even though you kind of expected it um but on that day the thing that struck me the most were, were those impact statements from all the victims uh there was just so much pain expressed in those statements i just felt that when the sentencing finally came down it was like okay that that balances at least somewhat uh whether it does for the victims or not it it just seemed to be a some justice served. I was delighted that the three of them got to make their victim statements. JD three was there because of Judge Almeida, otherwise she wouldn't have been there. And right. So right. So the the, the the um counts one and two were convictions. Count three was hung, but Judge Almeida ruled that all three women could give statements. So that's what uh, you mean, Pan, that Jane Doe 3, in another in another court, she may not have been able to say anything. But in this court, she got to speak even though the count was hung. And I agree. I, I Look, we had I had notes coming from someone who was in the courtroom. So they're just notes. They're not official, you know, transcripts of what those three women said. But even the amount of detail we got, those were some remarkable statements. Just so much impact. I I was wow. The I was amazed. 
Go ahead. I was amazed they were able to hold it together long enough to be able to make such complete statements as well. Because I was shattered by what they were saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and kudos to the uh, note taker because oh. that was that was Tony Ortega level note taking. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, that was good. Really good. I thought we were, felt like, you know, I felt like it was there. And it started off with Jane Doe 3. And I was a little surprised because initially I got a report that Jane Doe 1 and Jane Doe 3 were there with Leah and that Jane Doe 2 was not in the courtroom and that her statement might be read by a prosecutor. That was the first report I got. It turned out instead all three women were there, but Ariel Anson, the prosecutor, read Jane Doe 3's for her. The other two women, Jane Doe 1 and 2, read their own. Um, Jane Doe 3, of course, is the woman that was in a relationship with Masterson for six years. And um, that was the first one, read by a prosecutor. <clears throat> I thought all three were so strong because they were not only describing how difficult this whole process has been for them, but how they're, you know, it's an ongoing kind of trauma for them for right. years. And they wanted, they wanted him to know that he has sentenced them to a kind of life imprisonment. Right. It's like definitely a PSD, uh, a PTSD uh, situation where they, they definitely have that trauma hanging around. No, the, the effects are incredible. Yeah. Um, I mean, JD3, sweet Lord, uh, some of the things she said, I just felt like crying for her, hugging her. I just go, oh, my God. And and when she thanked her husband and just said that she didn't know what she'd done to deserve such a man and all the ways that he's there for her. And I think, oh, sweet God. And that's in addition to the rape, there's all this ongoing harassment and BS that's been happening for years, as well as people losing families, losing friends. It's just, oh. Right, and she it, talked about she talked about how it's hard for her even to leave the house. Yeah. Yeah. She said she could count on her fingers how often she's left the house in years. And then Jane Doe 2 went second. <clears throat> and I know she's more of a, a kind of a writer. And so I expect, you know, I was expecting something really, um, really well uh, thought through. And it was. She, she, she really wanted you to understand her state of mind, which I thought was remarkable. And then but what surprised me about where she ended up is she ended up forgiving him, which I thought was so powerful and shocking and surprising. What did you think of that, Lynette? I thought it was a very wise thing to do because holding on to, I mean, she's got a long row ahead. She says she forgives him, but that's going to be an ongoing battle for her for probably the rest of her life. She will have to forgive him over and over and over. But she will heal faster by doing so. That doesn't mean that she's saying what he did was all right. Right. It doesn't mean that she's um, in any way exonerating him of anything. What it means is she is letting go of 
all the negative emotions that he engendered with his rape of her and that will help her to heal faster. Um, and I hope it's like ashes in, in Danny's eyes. I hope it, his, her forgiveness of him must rankle because he still doesn't think he did anything wrong. Right. As well, as well, Scientology probably has that same view, Lynette. Um, yep. You know, Masterson as an actor and a famous person is considered, well, Hubbard had that term Kakan in Scientology, which basically is supposedly from an ancient army where they, they uh, would be forgiven the death penalty. But in Scientology, what it means is that any upstat person or upstatistic person or a famous person like that, if someone starts reporting them, uh, someone like that, Policy is uh, that they investigate the person who turned in the report. And that's basically what happened in all of this. Yep. And that's per the policy letter. It was written way back in 1965, a policy letter called Ethics. So um, Scientology is not going to change their viewpoint uh, on that. And at this point, it'd be difficult for them to do that and say, oh, wait, we were wrong. Yeah, he was a bad guy. They've been supporting him all along. You know, Phil, the Kakan thing. The mafia have the same idea. It's called oh. a, made, a made man. And oh, in right. truth, a criminal organization like Scientology, I think Hubbard's fantastical invention of his Kakan phrase, Danny was a made man. That's yeah. why. Yeah. He's, just, he's just got protection from La Familia. And uh, it's BS, you know. Yeah. She was amazing, uh, Tony, when you said you were hoping that she would express, she expressed herself so beautifully and so clearly. She said, you know, that his burden was his to carry now, not hers. And right. she, that she saw him as a human, just lacking compassion. Um, uh, and that's what the forgiveness was all about. Right. His, his burden is no longer hers to bear. Right. Or well, he is the, no longer her burden. The third uh, to go, uh, it looked like from the notes that Jane Doe 1 went the longest. And what uh, I really liked about her statement was how she kept bringing it back to Scientology a little more stronger than the other two did, I thought. And really emphasizing how much that Scientology was such a part of this whole process and protecting Danny and punishing them. And I'm so glad she took some time to really hammer that home. Oh, reading about hers was the most, hers was the, I mean, they were all heart wrenching, but hers was the one that for some reason got to me the most. And the story about uh, Danny's sister coming into the bathroom and smiling, that just, that just made my blood run cold. It was so, hard reading, you know? I'm All sorry, say it again, Pam? No, I was just saying it was really hard reading the whole thing. And and that's reading it on a on a on a computer thousands of miles away. <laughs> yeah, being in that room, especially with his family there, maybe just maybe it may succeed in penetrating a little bit through the shell around which he, which he has surrounded himself with. 
Yeah, I hope so, for his sake and for all our sakes, because he was subhuman. He was really appalling. Well, honestly, after seeing after seeing his behavior, I think he's just feeling aggrieved more than anything. Right, and she actually said something. The judge actually said something to him about that, right? She said something like, "You're not the victim here, boy." Right. Yep. Right. I really liked how she. Uh, said and this was repeated in some of the newspaper articles as well i saw it in italian last night um when she said to him um you paid a lot of money for something that never happened <laughs> that was she just crucified him right there wow it's amazing how widespread this news has gone we were just downtown a little earlier and there were Two police officers standing there discussing Danny Masterson. <laughs> and their, their whole thing was, well, yeah, that's in, in America. Boy, they really, you know, Canada, you wouldn't have gotten 30 years to life. <laughs> but they were, it was all about uh, Danny Masterson, uh, even in Canada here. Wow. I went through a bunch of non-English language newspapers last night. I pointed and I posted to the blog because I, I thought I wonder what's happening outside of the Anglosphere, and everywhere I looked, everywhere: Italy, Switzerland, France, Spain, Portugal, Norway, Sweden. I looked to Ireland, Australia, Japan. I looked this morning, and it's everywhere. And some of them are not just the uh, sort of reproducing the writers or the AP stuff. Some of them have got other salient details. And Scientology got a lot of prominence in many, if not most of them. Well, Danny is definitely more famous than he's ever been before. <laughs> yeah, he's a superstar now. Well, I heard that complaint all through the trials, that it wasn't getting the coverage that people wanted it to get. And I can understand how people felt, but um, I guess what's propelling it now is the length of the sentence surprises people. The involvement of Scientology makes it intriguing. Um, his connection to other celebrities is part of it. So it's that combination. Uh, also, the fascination with Leah's reaction, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's really gone around the world. And I think for the most part, the coverage has uh, carried that sort of uh, amazed, am amazement about Scientology's sort of uh, role. There, I, I guess a few places kind of left it out. I was told that NBC kind of avoided talking about Scientology. I don't know. I didn't check it out. I just heard I heard the complaint. But it seems to me most people kind of get it that that's that this was a Scientologist celebrity who was being protected by Scientology and was able to get away with really heinous crimes for a long time. Didn't that come across all over the place? It did, definitely. Yep. Yeah, in the comments and some of the articles that I saw, you got the occasional Neanderthal who was going, oh, 20 years and you know, people going, you don't, it's he said, she said thing. But these are from people who didn't follow the trial or people who have already decided that most rape trials are unfair to men or who cares? These are losers. But most people in most comment sections that I saw, regardless of the language and regardless of the culture, were really having that Scientology. Right. I was amazed. Oh, Captain Miscavige is a downstat this week. 
I think this year, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was so, the uh, that was the sort of focus of the first twenty four hours was just the the length of the sentence, the nature of the sentence. I think people were just really reeling and trying to figure out the case, and you could see people that were kind of like, "Well, why? What did he do? Was it?" But I, I was pretty focused. I really wanted to see we, you know, we so we got to hear what the Jane Doe's said, and that was so powerful. But in cases like this, you know, there are people supporting Danny who send in statements. They don't get to say them out loud at the sentencing. But I knew those documents were out there, and Megan Kuniff and I were really trying to gather. She's such a good reporter. We were trying to figure out if we could get our hands on those. And uh, we we had planned a live broadcast for Friday afternoon, and we were hoping we'd have them by then. Uh, we ran into some snags, and then we hit pay dirt, and we both put those letters out just before our live broadcast. And wow, they blew up. Um, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I figured his family had sent letters. I thought maybe some other people from the entertainment industry, like producers and stuff. I did not realize there were going to be letters in there from Ashton Kutcher, Mila Kunis, Kirkwood Smith, Deborah Joe Baldwin, the you know Kitty and Red from the that '70s show, uh, and, and then Giovanni Ribisi, Billy Baldwin. I mean, you know, I think this really caught people by surprise and it really, really blew up. Um, what did you all think about those letters and some of the stuff that was in them? I was amazed. I was amazed by some of the people who actually put down in writing their support. <laughs> their that strong a support uh, for a convicted violent rapist. Um, who wrote the cookie cutter yeah. initial version of these is there all <laughs> no yep. you're you're right there was a similarity to all of them they're all following the exact same pattern and the other <laughs> thing about it they're writing these letters and these lazy bastards never took the time to follow the trial carefully if they had followed the trial and heard and seen and read the evidence would they have written these things too lazy too damn lazy of course, Giovanni Ribisi, I get that. Uh, but, you know, some of the, his bro, uh, I get that. His sister, they, that that's their brother. But, you know, all the co-stars from the 70s show, what are they doing? Yeah. Bunch of tossers. Well, you know, he doesn't do drugs. He's very anti-drug. So he could not possibly have raped anybody. I disbelieve that, by the way. He looks completely <laughs> stoned in some photographs of him. He's got the totally yep. wiped out stoner eyes. Sometimes he looks like he is just out of his can. I don't believe it for a minute. I think he's lying. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I think... think he's all front and back, this guy. You know, she, Jane Doe 3, she said it. He would be so charming. He'd be so lovely. And then bang. You know, I, I do want to defend the letter writers just on one thing, and that is, you know, I imagine the scenario, Philip Cohen rings them up and says, listen, we could use a letter. Okay, but how do I format it? I don't think it's a sin that they tended to follow a format. Um, what's more interesting is the actual details they put into it. And yeah, time after time, they all said, 
he was so anti-drug. And it's like, yeah, but he's accused, he's convicted of drugging and raping women. So, yep. you know, I just thought that was kind of an ironic thing to settle on. Um, I thought his charity work was an interesting mention as well. The 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 nine eleven thing, the Scientology thing, yeah. with the firefighters. That's he probably just he probably just threw some money. At, what they do is they'll throw some money at it and say, "Oh, I got so many people off drugs." But all they did was throw some money into Narcanon, and then they claim that they got people off drugs. That's how a Scientologist thinks. Well, he he was up in New York for those. They gave him the firefighters gave him an award. I have a photo somewhere of him receiving an award. And he's leering because, of course, this is around the same time that he's busy drugging and raping women. Yeah. But, I mean, him flying out there for the award doesn't mean he actually worked on in an Arcanon there or a purification rundown or whatever. I'm sure it was just went over there, donated some money, showed his face for a photo op, and then went home. Right. Yeah. Glad-handed a bunch of firefighters. Right. And meet, meet a Hollywood celebrity. Yeah. Yeah, and that '70s show was still running at the time, so it would have been. It was all. I'm sure they were starstruck more than anything. Yeah, and Tom Cruise was involved in that too, and I, I wonder how many of these firefighters are thinking, "Well, I couldn't meet Tom Cruise, but at least we get to meet this guy." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he was he was definitely throwing some fundraisers for that. Well, time. yeah. And I really hope that somebody questions Mila and Ashton on their charity work for abused women because it's like yeah, oh, we stand against we stand with these women who have been abused blah blah blah, but Man, don't you dare rag on our friend Danny. He's such a great guy, even though he's con a convicted rapist. It, I gotta, I got to tell you, the reaction on social media is something because, I mean, people are pissed. I to me, see. I I guess maybe because I've been reporting for about court stuff for a long time. I didn't think it was that unusual for Danny's friends to do this, even if they were only half-hearted or whatever. I mean, this is what you do. But I guess the general public is absolutely shocked and outraged that Ashton and Mila wrote these letters and actually tried to stand up for their friend. I I, I don't know. People are really angry. Well, I say good. Yeah. I, I mean, I can like Pan was saying, I can understand it a little bit from family members, a sister, you know, a lot of people will stand by their family member and, and support them, but Somebody just who worked with them, uh, I'm amazed that some of these people were convinced to write these letters. You know, some of the people who were in the, that 70s show uh, writing these letters, and uh, it's amazing to me. Right, and I want to be careful. I, I um, People have asked me about Christopher and that kind of thing. I had a court file I was working from, and I took out the letters that I thought people would be most interested in seeing. Christopher, Danny's brother, Carol, his mother, and Peter, his father, all wrote letters, but they were reproduced in a way that the pages were not copied correctly and you couldn't make out the full sentences. And I just thought it would be unfair for me to try to guess what they were saying. 
and I did not reproduce those. But those three people did write letters, and there's a reference to Ethan Suplee writing one, but I couldn't see one that had his name on it. Um, but I did not see anything, no references to it, nothing from Laura Prepon, Wilmer Valderrama, or Topher Grace. So uh, not everybody at that 70s show wrote him a letter. And of course, Laura Prepon is the most interesting of those because at one time she was a Scientologist. A couple of years ago, she said she hadn't been for five years. Um, but so then it becomes, you know, I've been, I've, you know, I don't know that show that well. I've heard from people that, yeah, it makes sense that it's Ashton and Mila, uh, Kurtwood and, Deborah Joe that wrote in because those were the four that were closest to Danny and they would never expect one from Topher who apparently didn't get along with Danny. But I still think it is interesting to me that Laura Prepon is not on the list. Well, she was um, going out with uh, Danny's brother, Chris. Right. For quite a while. And I think he's the one who actually got her into Scientology. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um so the fact that she was absolutely silent on that when she had been close to the family. Um, yeah, no, not necessarily, not from a Scientology viewpoint. When she made that statement of, I no longer do Scientology, that's almost like an official, I'm out kind of thing. And Scientology will not like that at all. You could, someone less famous would have could have been declared for that, just for oh, making that statement right, publicly. Right. right. But so I'm they're talking not gonna, about... They might not want a statement from her. That's true. Oh, and then, and then there now. is, but Phil, on the Scientology side, there was the entire RBC clan. So Al RBC and Gay, who are no longer together, but mother and father, they are the mother and father of Giovanni and Marissa. Um, they, all four of those folks wrote letters. And it's interesting to me because, you know, we've reported that Giovanni Rabisi's daughter has said that he's half in half out but they got him to write a letter and you know he's a he's a big name um i mean does this what, what should we conclude about this from a scientology point of view phil well half in means that he wants to keep his family keep contact with his family so if they if if, if any there was any scientology influence there as far as writing these letters um it 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 might not have been stated, but it, it could have been intimated that, uh, you know, you, you need to write this letter, you know, your family, you know, da, 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 whatever. I mean, if he's half in, he's he's wanting to keep his family. Still willing or else. Yeah, it might not have been stated or else, but but you kind of know when you're in, you, you know, you know what it means if if you don't sort of follow the, the company line. I was kind of disappointed that David Miscavige didn't write a shrieky letter. You know, I was just going to say, what does it mean that the ecclesiastical Pope did not write a letter on behalf of his celebrity member? Oh, he's so far above even those celebrities that he's just above everybody. He he doesn't need to. He's he's just too, uh, he's got too much altitude for that sort of low, lowly kind of a thing. I bet he I'll, I'll, I'll write a letter. I'll write a letter for him, <laughs> Phil, when he gets. <laughs> yeah, that would be an interesting little exercise to write a letter in <laughs> in the uh, vein of what Miscavige would say. Oh, 
That sounds like a job. That sounds like a job for OT8 is great. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Good point. I have to drop him a line and ask him to do that for us. Yeah. Expletive deleted. Yeah, yeah. A, a, a miscavige support letter to Danny Mis Danny Masterson. Uh, uh, yeah, that would be interesting to hear what he has to say. We we'll have might... to wait to sober up first. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, yeah, I I knew the letters would be interesting, but wow, what a reaction! And um, that's kind of taken over this second day here after the after the sentencing. But still, we got a lot of questions. You know, there's still a lot uh, we're going to be asking. I mean, we don't know what facility he's being sent to yet. Um. And, of course, then he's going to start doing his appeals. Megan Kuniff told me to expect maybe the the earliest we'll get a chance to really – I mean, they'll put in a notice of appeal immediately. But the, the, the real document, the brief that will explain their argument for why the uh, ruling should – the sentence should be overturned probably won't come until the beginning of the new year. Um, but I, I assume there's going to be things they think are very appealable. They're going to, I think, obviously focus on Judge Omedo's rulings about how much Scientology was in the trial, how much, how many references to drugging, that kind of thing. Um, but I don't know that, I mean, I've also been told that it's really kind of the steep odds against overturning what a jury has, you know, ruled on a case like this. What Do you guys have any sense of, of what Danny's up against? I think he's done. I think the uh, First Amendment argument is going to go nowhere. They're the ones that brought it in first. Uh, what's his yeah. face? Mesereau. White hair. Yeah. Oh, Mesereau. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, he's the one that he's the one that waltzed right in and handed that to uh, to the uh, to the prosecution, and I think Claire was very, and the judge, they were very circumspect about what she was allowed to talk about, and it was very pertinent. Um, I don't think that, I don't think they have a hope on the First Amendment. And in the meantime, the civil court case will proceed, I assume. Oh, yeah, they'll have a hearing on that soon to get that going again, and that'll be really interesting. We are, there are some others uh, uh, sort of... Uh, auxiliary things going on that just the day before the sentencing i noticed on the docket that tom mesero had given up his appeal of the sanctions ruling uh for those who don't remember back in june uh judge Olmedo had ruled that tom mesero and sharon applebaum danny's attorneys for his preliminary hearing had leaked sensitive DA's evidence to the Church of Scientology and sanctioned them a small amount. And they both appealed, and they made it sound like they were going to just knock this out, that Judge Omeda was way out over her skis, and this was a terrible ruling. But the day before the sentencing, I noticed that uh, Mesro had dropped his appeal. He's going to accept the fact that he was sanctioned. And, and then also I checked with the court, and it turns out that uh, Sharon Applebaum's case appeal has also been ended because she didn't pay her filing fee. Do you guys have any thoughts about what's going on there? 
Well, it has to do with Scientology, so it could be that they just don't want to bring any more up about Scientology because this is about the information that was handed over to Scientology's attorneys. So if there's any thing that any kind of pressure that Scientology could put, they don't want to have any more uh, noise or anybody looking any deeper into the situation. I think they know that they're busted. I think they know that the... Uh thing that they were sanctioned on, they are completely guilty of. And I think that, what was it, 900 bucks or something like yeah. that? Under, anyway, I mean, that's peanuts. That's chump change to these people. I think they just made a lot of noise like a bullfrog squawking in a marsh. But as soon as it came, push comes to shove. Oh, no. All right. Sanctions, sanctions. It's nothing to them. Well, somebody said, um, one of our resident lawyers, I don't remember if it was Texas lawyer or Shorpy, um, but if for sanction amounts less than $1,000, it doesn't go on their record. Yeah. So um, I'm, I was wondering if maybe they thought, well, you know, we'll just pay because appealing, it's just going to make a bigger fuss and going to make it known to a yeah, wider I, audience. I, I, I'm leaning with Phil. I think it's I think you're right, Leonard. I think they did think about the fuss, but that it was Scientology that was really mindful of the fuss and oh. said, yeah, let's just, you know, just eat that, forget it, and we'll move on. But uh here's the thing though, it's not gonna go away. A, a document that was filed this week, I didn't say anything about it because it was pretty much material we already knew about. But a document that was filed in the Bixler case, that's the name of the civil lawsuit between the Masterson accusers and the Church of Scientology and, and Danny over harassment. They filed a notice, uh, uh, they, they, a motion for judicial notice that was simply Judge Omedo's ruling and the transcript from that hearing. So they are they are definitely making a point that the judge in the civil case needs to be aware that these sanctions have been, had happened and that that it does also apply to the civil case so you know that's this is not going away that leak is going to be a part of the civil lawsuit good good <laughs> bullet time <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, a couple minor, a couple. We'll just finish up with a couple of the more minor things that happened. I mean, on a, on any other week, this would be kind of big, but of course, what a you know, we had such a huge thing happen this week. Victoria Palmer, all right, the independent Scientologist up in the Seattle area. I had noticed that she was going to run for city council in Seattle, and of course, I'm always interested any time a Scientologist or indie Scientologist runs for office. And so wrote a little thing about that. She was kind enough to respond to me and said a few things. So I, I, I thought that was great. Um, she did not win, but she has a, a certain reputation up there, notoriety up there because she had been um, very front and center for some anti-mask mandate rallies during the pandemic. And I think she's kind of trying to turn that notoriety into some political action. But she she had failed in that attempt to become on the city council. However, just like a week and a half later, Ray Robles had his Theta Alliance. Uh, it's, it's usually an annual thing. They had not held it for a few years because of the pandemic. It's in Reno, small gathering of independent Scientologists. And at that gathering... 
she announced and and Ray himself in the flyer, if you remember, had said something about his time. We all came together and united and did something. And she announced that what they were going to do was on September 23, have an indie Scientologist free zoner protest at Big Blue. So you know what this is going to be like? You got the independents who don't like Miscavige's golden age of tech. So they're going to be, you're a squirrel. Scientology says, no, you're a squirrel. You're a squirrel. No, you're a squirrel. Because they're all calling each other squirrels. That's that'll be the extent of their protest. Yeah, but it'll be on L. Ron Hubbard way. That is so fun. Oh, it is. Just I just really hilarious. hope it happens. Oh, I man. really hope it happens. Oh, it, oh, totally. And I, it'd be so cool if somebody was there. I got to get Ebner excited about this and get him out there because I think he would give us such a fun account of what goes down. Yeah. Tell him to look out for things like locking doors, pulling blinds down. Anytime there's a protest there, they just lock everything down pretty much. He, he told me yesterday that there was a big construction vehicle blocking L. Ron Hubbard way. And he wondered if it had something to do with the sentencing. Uh, I mean, it. I could totally imagine Scientology, David, thinking, you know, once the sentencing comes down, there's going to be this sort of like the uh, <laughs> surge of feeling in Scientology. We better block off the access. I think that could have been the case. So that's maybe something they'll do on September 23rd. Now that they know that Victoria and the other free zoners are coming. Shrub tick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or shut down the street for an event or something. Yeah. You know, when we were protesting once, we were in our we had this our call me signs on the side of our our uh, our truck, and we would just drive around the block. And we stopped, and actually, a couple of people came up to our window from their little outdoor cafe and started talking to us. Well, we didn't realize they were distracting us. And on the other side, on the driver's side, one of the security people came up to the car and stole one of our signs off the side of the car. Oh, <laughs> um, so I didn't notice it right away. We drove around the block and then I, I can't remember how I noticed it, but I just went in the back. I had, Oh, I had another five or 10 of these magnetic signs in the back, stuck another one on and drove back around the block, came up again and sat out front, but I, they stole it right off the side of the truck. Oh, that's hilarious. I remember. Oh, confront and shatter. Nobody really? confronts and shatters like Scientologists. <laughs> really? Odo's going to get a lot of work out with that. He'll be cycling like crazy around the place <laughs> on his bike. They will probably bring in external security for that, actually. That's what he might do. And then yeah. keep, keep all the punters off the streets and close all the windows. Yeah. Yeah. Off-duty LAPD cops. Yeah, they might, but they've got a lot of different security at different buildings. They'll bring some people, extra people from Celebrity Center, maybe from their uh, test center downtown uh, on Hollywood Boulevard. They have quite a few security people. So well, why I... can't the why can't the big beings just postulate the <laughs> indies away? That's I mean that's like the sixty-four thousand dollar question. It is. You're right. It is. Wow. So well, I, how, many, I don't know. How, many, how many people does Ms. Palmer expect will show up for this? I don't I don't know. I don't know. She, she seemed to be optimistic, but, you know, there's not that many indies out there. But and, and there's not many people left at Big Blue either. We've been by there, I mean, in the past, and sometimes they're only like 
two or three people sitting outside and wandering around the street. It's pretty quiet these days. You know, if they have 10 people on the protest, they might have more people in their protest than they're protesting <laughs> against. <laughs> the story of Scientology. Really? Well, Dave certainly won't be there. And that's that's another thing I just wanted to bring up that happened in the last week or so was um, very predictable. Uh, in this new lawsuit from Jane Doe 1 uh, against Gavin Potter and David Miscavige, uh, she very uh, quickly was able to serve the institutional defendants, which are Church of Scientology International, Bridge Publications, and Religious Technology Center. But of course, it's always a challenge trying to serve David Miscavige. And so his, his oh, my, you know, this one of my favorite figures now in Scientology, his attorney, his personal attorney, Jeffrey Riffer. submitted a filing saying you have not properly served my client and of course people from overseas that read the bunker are always so perplexed saying how is it possible that an attorney can come into court and say i'm sorry my client is not aware of your lawsuit i mean it's just it defies all logic and i know it just doesn't make any sense but that's basically what he's saying and so, you know, it's the it's the usual circus. And I don't know what, you know, this judge is going to say about that, because, you know, dropping papers at an employee's feet at the office where Dave is based, you'd think would be enough. But it has not traditionally. Yeah. And uh, they're going to have to jump through a whole lot more hoops, I think. I, I really thought- like your, oh. your headline, Riffer Madness. That was excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah, that that uh, that was really a cool. I had some thoughts on this whole thing with Miscavige and hiding out because he sometimes he can be sort of a a literal uh, copy on some of the things that Hubbard did, and he he can be very uh, almost a, an extreme version in some ways. And I, you know, I was thinking that back in the '60s, when Hubbard was really under the gun and the walls were closing in. That's when he started the Sea Org, and he sort of left the UK and and went out to sea. Um, and I'm not sure if Miscavige would end up doing a similar thing, whether he would move to a different country, whether he'd go on the ship or buy another ship or go to an island, buy an island, whatever. I I just wonder if at some point when the walls get too close, whether he would take off. Um, I I could see him doing that. Hubbard did it, so why wouldn't Miscavige? But that was the '60s. I don't yeah. think it's quite as easily now. Well, I don't know. I mean, he could easily just go to the ship, and then nobody can serve him there. Uh, Except they have to come ashore somewhere, sometime, somehow. What's he going he, to do? Well, yeah, I guess I don't know. I mean, if you really took this to the extreme, I you know when you guys were talking about those two thirty-five story buildings in. Clearwater the other day um, and wondering why they're doing that because they want to keep people out. I was thinking, well, what, you know, if you owned a hundred buildings in Clearwater, uh, what would you want to do with them? Would you want to rent them out for peanuts or would you want to be able to flip them for two or three times the money? And what would raise the price more of those buildings than Scientology leaving Florida? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not going to happen, but I, I just it sort of my mind was sort of going down that road a little bit that, man, if, if you own two 35-story buildings and 100 other buildings in Clearwater, if Scientology left, there would be a huge demand for property in Clearwater. Mm-hmm. Anyway, not going to happen. But the, the thing on Miscavige, though, 
I don't know if he would ever get to that point or whether he could just leave and avoid all the service and stuff like that. Well, as far I don't as... Think, I don't think he's as much of a buccaneer as, as Hubbard was. You know, Hubbard really saw himself as one of these swashbuckling pirates in one of his little right. silly stories for the Yeah, pubs. good point. Yep, good point. And I, I wonder if Miscavige could get along without all of the people fawning at his feet and, you know, having his own personal stable of whipping boys. And, you know, he just seems to me that if, that he would just wither up and die without people worshiping him, whether he actually allows them into his presence or not. Yeah. Well, as far as we know, his current situation is that he's got this apartment in the hacienda gardens that's deep inside and you're not going to be able to get to his door and then he just shuttles between there and the fort harrison and the flag building and he's got lots of security around him there he's got an air bridge to cover to cross yeah. i i would think it's so stifling to have such a small world that you're basically just going between those places but he is fairly protected from process servers and you know outsiders maybe he thinks that that's you know sufficient because he can get that uh pope on the balcony rush every friday night at the fort harrison from the graduation crowd he's getting the sort of adulation that he likes i'm not sure what the better sort of situation would be now i will say this i have heard a rumor twice now and i don't know if it's true that the ias in october is going to resume in east grinstead this year i i'm skeptical personally i think that they will keep having it at the fort harrison itself but twice now i've heard from people in england who say they've seen indications that the IAS Gala is going to return to East Grinstead this year. I, if if anybody out there has better information, I'd love to know because October is coming up quick. Um, and But I think in general, Dave's got things set up where he's fairly difficult to reach, but he's still in close contact with his worshiping followers. Yeah, yeah, that no, that's true. Big, the big tent in in East Grinstead. He, he he's not able to fill that now. I bet you, three thousand people. I bet he couldn't get that many. I agree. I agree, Pan. That's why I'm skeptical. I don't see it happening. But uh, twice now, people I know in England have said, you know, we we've heard this. It's coming. So they may just be hearing bad information, or maybe I'm wrong, and they are going to do it. But because that's that's exactly one of the things I'm skeptical about. Why would he put up that big tent if he knows he can barely, you know, put half half people in there? Well, they might put up a put up a smaller tent with a big screen and have the thing from uh, right. uh, from satellite through from uh, Clearwater, because Tony, you're right. He goes right from the hacienda. You can't get in there. There's a gate with a guard, uh, and he'll drive into the Fort Harrison garage where there's a gate. There didn't used to be. You could used to be able to just drive in there, but now there's a gate that opens, closes right behind his car. He's got the air bridge to his office across the way. Um, you know, there's uh, there's going to be security all around him. He, nobody will get near him. And you can't walk in the Fort Harrison the way you used to either. In the early days, you could just walk in there. But now there'd be they have security out front. And who the heck are you? And and what are you, why are you here? Kind of thing. If they don't recognize you, uh, you're not getting in there. Well, Service by drone. 
service by drone. Somebody's got to drop the papers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and he's, he's got his own personal police force in Clearwater, too. He's got, they're pretty well in his pocket, aren't they? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. David Prezogan Miscavige. Well, we will be uh, we will be keeping an eye on those lawsuits and the service question. Uh, great to have you back, Phil. Um, well, thank you. I'm I'm feeling really good. Uh, thank you so much, all the well wishers who heard about my how successful my surgery was, and I'm feeling pretty strong now. I'm getting I'm getting closer to getting back on that bike. That's my big thing. I really want to get back on a bicycle, but. <laughs> Doc won't let me for a couple more weeks, but then uh, then we'll be then then we'll really be back. So listen, everybody at the bunker, thank you so much for all the support. What a week! What a milestone! We'll be talking about Danny Masterson's sentencing for years, and uh, that's it for this week's group therapy. Oh, that's great! Thank you very much, Tony. Hey, bye everybody. Bye, bye everybody. Again, again, again.